popular technology radio. Your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Welcome to this week's episode of Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Etchart. Jason, how are you? Mike, I'm so good, and I'm glad you're doing good as well, because we were chatting before we started, and you have reason to be excited. <laughs> I do. Jason, I got a mesh Wi-Fi system in my house at the moment, and it, it has dramatically changed my life. It's a glorious day for any tech guy to, uh, to upgrade the whole home all at once with a mesh Wi-Fi system. It is stunning. It is stunning. And, you know, we should probably talk a little bit about, you know, how we got here. Both you and I, will you tell me, what, and I can't remember why your house is weird. Why is your house weird for Wi-Fi? Right. Well, so... Weird. Weird. <laughs> yeah. So my house is, uh, it was built in 1948. Okay. And the master bedroom is actually the garage that was on like the back of the house that has no access to the front of the house where you could ever get a car in it. So they're just like, well, if we can't put a car in it, let's make it a master bedroom. But for okay. that, but for that reason, the, um, where the cable comes into my house near the front of my house, uh, is very far away and through the kitchen and multiple walls away from the bedroom. So, uh, it's really hard to get internet all the way back there. Right, 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 right. Okay, so similar to mine. Mine's built in the late 40s, although my house, and I, I guess they're probably common elsewhere, but I'm in Southern California. We have a concrete block house, and on top of that, plaster walls. So we've got a super challenge, and like you, it was a small house that we added on to maybe 15 years ago. Um, but the, you know, when we, when we, first brought internet and when broadband in fact we got broadband shortly just a little bit before we did an addition actually so we've got um we, we one of the things we added on to was uh, we added an office and so in early days of of well we didn't even there was no wi-fi even then it was just a, a hard wire coming into that office on the new construction which is basically just sticks and and drywall so typical construction but the old part of our house uh, where our television is and all that stuff doesn't you know there was no internet connection and it didn't matter because we just needed it for the office but then as we moved into you know the realities of smartphones and all that stuff and then becoming cord cutters we really wanted that internet in our in you know in the area that has the the plaster walls and the and the concrete block walls and we got a wi-fi extender as you did and it actually it worked <clears throat> considerably better you know the, it was it was a dramatic step up yeah it at least got the internet there Yes, exactly. But because that room uses television principally, and of course that's that's using lots of bandwidth to to you know to stream video, you would see the hiccups and you would see the freezes and stuff like that. And like everything, you just kind of you just accept it. It's just like, it's just the way it is. Yeah, you're like I got it's either that or I buy a new house. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. So so that was kind of us. And if you haven't had a Wi-Fi extender, uh, and you and I both have. It, it, it's it's great and it makes a huge improvement if you as opposed to what it was before. But you know you basically get and in my case you get the 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 two different uh, speeds. In, so if you're sitting in the office, you have the two different speeds, uh, Wi-Fi. And then if you move into the back of the house, you see you still see the original two, but they're not nearly as powerful. But then you see the you know the two and the five extended, and so you essentially your your phone is kind of looking at four different options, 
and you and oftentimes you have to manually switch. So you, you set your TV and you forget it, but it's, it's with your handheld device that you're kind of bouncing between all these different systems. So it's not elegant, but again, like everything, you just kind of forget. Well, that's just the way it is. You know, I've got an extender, and that's what I need in my house. Yeah, those those tiny incremental upgrades, and then you you switch to the mesh system where it's all looped in under different uh, nodes yes. that all combines into one single Wi-Fi name to connect to, and you're and, set. And you're set. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your experience uh, using the Orbi before we talk to uh, our friends at Netgear. Awesome. All right. All right, this is Pop Tech Radio, and we'll be right back. On the track, even one-hundredth of a second decides who wins and who loses. That's why Bridgestone uses advanced racing technology to create their fastest street-legal replacement tire yet. The new Bridgestone Potenza RE71R. Engineered with an innovative hydro-evacuation surface and unique tread compounds, the new Potenza RE71R is designed to give you maximum grip and ultimate cornering on or off the track. Bridgestone is changing the game in tire performance. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and our show is brought to you by Bridgestone. They're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. And uh, my co-host, Mike Etchart, was just going over uh, some of the benefits of using this new Orbi wireless mesh system that he got in his house. It's an older house. It's made of concrete in certain areas. <laughs> and not only do I have concrete walls, I have plaster over my concrete walls. That's how – That's how. and it's, it's like a bunker in terms of Wi-Fi. It's just – impenetrable yeah and so some of the mesh wi-fi systems i think there's a there's one by google and there's one by uh there's one other one that um they are they're kind of more known for coming with like three nodes yeah. in place around your house I've seen that. I've but, seen that. but a lot yeah. of the main reviews uh from cnet and all the big the big guys all tend to say that the orby does with two units, what most of these do with three. And d did you find that to be true in terms of, uh, was there anywhere in your house where you're like, oh, man, I wish I had one more extender for this? No, area. no, I got to say, so my, my house is about you know, around 2,000 square feet now. And, uh, and it, you know, just as I mentioned, we, we added on to, to an older concrete block house. And uh, it, the bedroom and, and where the bathroom and shower are are actually behind two different concrete walls covered in plaster and wow. I, so i walked around into that area um and it's so it's a long ways away from from the satellite and 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 of course through several walls to get to that part of the house and it worked perfectly full bars uh super you know i popped up a youtube video and it just it's it was it was just stunning how how much uh, how much Wi-Fi signal I had. So it, at least in in the two thousand square foot house, it was it worked perfectly. It, it worked perfectly, and and it and for streaming video. So that's pretty impressive. And it's I I, I couldn't imagine the need for that. And I, I what I haven't checked is how far outside it goes. We've had some inclement weather since I've had it, so I haven't walked around and, and seen how far outside it works. But boy, inside the house, two works perfectly for that size. Right. And um, most of these Wi-Fi systems come with an app that gives you tons of control over it. Um, was there any uh, features of the app that stood out to you? Are you able to um, look at who's connected to your Wi-Fi and possibly control how much uh, bandwidth they're getting or things like that? 
it's a slick app. Um, I, I haven't used that functionality, but but just uh, setting it up and formatting it when you first get it is really elegant. It's it's, and in fact, the whole process. I mean, it, it literally took a few minutes, like five minutes maybe, to set everything up. It, it worked really really seamlessly, and the, and the app is super helpful. Um, I had a couple of of firmware updates, and that took I don't know maybe ninety seconds on top of. The regular installation, so uh, the app is really, really helpful, and you know, I, I, it's it's very Mac-like, I would say, as as a as a Mac zealot. Uh, you know, I'm used to that kind of it just cl- works mentality. Exactly, clean lines, and you know, the, the, the instructions to set it up. It's it's one little teeny page that, that's in, included in it. So again, very kind of Apple-like in its simplicity and its and its elegance and. Uh, and it's it just works. It just works, boy. It, it's <laughs> there's no going back, you know. And, and absolutely. And I, and I had a Netgear uh, uh, range extender as well, and and was very happy with that. Um, but it's just you know it's a, it's the step up, and there's no going back. There's no going back. And you've got a mesh system in your house as well. Yes, yes. Um, I have the Velop system, mm-hmm. which came with three nodes, each of which is about the size of like a. Um, a little milk carton, kind of. And that, I find that really helped me because um, where my Wi-Fi or where my internet comes into my house and the furthest reaches of my house, the bedroom, are they couldn't be further apart from each other. They're like, they're <laughs> diagonal. Right. So that what that did is it allowed me to have one unit in the living room, one unit in the kitchen in the middle, and then that third unit allowed me to go to the farthest reaches of my house. Oh, okay. All the way to the back bedroom where I have my TV and stuff like that. It seemed like it would have had a little bit of trouble if I just had the two units. Okay. But it's hard to say um, how it would do in direct comparison to the Orbi. I haven't directly compared the two, but it does seem like the Orbi um, is kind of known for having a bit further reach for each of their units, which are also bigger. Yeah, and our friends, you know, and, and I... It- I started with the Orbi because, you know, whenever stuff like this, so, so I, there's a lot of things I know a lot about. One of the things is not really Wi-Fi. That's not my area of expertise. So I always ask, we have a bunch of friends over at the wire cutter. And so that's kind of how I, I wanted to check out the Orbi first. That, that, that and it, we, I, <clears throat> we both noticed it's, it's at the top of just about everybody's list, the Orbi of, of the best. They're all really pretty good. Um, the, the Orbi seems to stand, stand a little bit above the rest. And you're right for that reason. And I do want to say, so I think you and I are similar in that. So your furthest, the area where you needed the most help was for a television. Right. And same with me as well. And it's my, my wife was just walking by, heard me talking about this. And she was saying, since we've had it, you know, she has noticed it, it just, Again, you know, you get used to this kind of, you know, the little hiccups when you're watching TV and, and, uh, you know, watching Netflix, let's say, and, you know, just, it just, it'll, it'll kind of, you know, you'll get the little spinning icon for just a second, you know, and, and you'll notice it just kind of, it's, that doesn't kick in super fast, like when we go to friends' houses that have a much sturdier Wi Fi connection. So that's, that, that, those little niggly things are completely eliminate, eliminated with the Orbi. And I assume it is with you as well for, with Mesh. Yeah, definitely. Well, and so there, there are, uh, there's more features within the app that we haven't covered, but we will, um, well, and now let's defer to the experts. There you go. When we come back, we're going to talk to Amit Rayleigh from Netgear, and he's going to tell us more about the Orbi and some of the other features we haven't gotten to yet. So this is Pop Tech Radio. We'll be right back. 
Craftsman is celebrating over 90 years of innovation. Since 1927, they've put hardworking tools into the hands of makers and mechanics. I've had Craftsman tools in my garage for decades, so I know firsthand that Craftsman Comprehensive Automotive Tools and Garage Storage Solutions will help you tackle your next project with confidence, whether you be a shade tree mechanic or a certified pro. So visit your local Ace Hardware or check out Craftsman.com to shop the latest hand tools, power tools, lawn and garden equipment, smart products, storage solutions, and a whole lot more. That's Craftsman.com. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and as Mike and I have been talking about, uh, he got his hands on a Netgear Orbi Wi-Fi mesh router, and so now we've got Amit Rayleigh on the line. He's the product management leader for Orbi Connected Home, and he's here to tell us more about what you are really gaining when you upgrade from a regular Wi-Fi home router to a mesh Wi-Fi system. Can we talk about... The um, the jump up in usage and in speeds and everything like that that you get when you go from a regular Wi-Fi router uh, and possibly with a range extender versus a Absolutely. mesh network. Absolutely. So let, let me actually start off with um, what mesh is and how mesh got started and why uh, what the world was before, I guess, um, fourth quarter of, of 2016, when the whole Wi-Fi systems or mesh category, um, we use those two cha- uh, terms interchangeably, uh, got started. Um, the problem that it's really trying to solve is that, you know, traditionally, um, people started off with um, having a single router in the house. Um, and they typically put that somewhere wherever their cable modem or their DSL modem was. And from there, you know, your Wi-Fi signal kind of propagated through your house. Every time it went through a metal object or a wall or a ceiling, the signal kind of got knocked down. So people solved that problem by uh, putting extenders all over the place. Now, extenders are great. I mean, what they do is that they really amplify the signal. But what you're really doing is you're, you're trading, you're getting coverage, but you're trading away speed because of the the the, the signal that's being sent from your iPhone or your laptop to your range extender basically goes over the same medium back to the router. Uh, where mesh systems or Wi-Fi systems are um, stand out is that um, they have a separate channel just for the the connectivity between the multiple devices that are all part of the system. So firstly, they all come together. They all have a single Wi-Fi name. So you're not going off and saying, oh, in, in my bedroom, my extender has a better signal. So therefore, I need to go to the extender. But when I go to the living room, oh, now that's where my router is. So that that's where my router has a better, better uh, signal. So now I got to change my network name from my extender back to my router manually. No, 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 no. You don't have to do any of that when, with a Wi-Fi system. It's all a single name. Um, and the system together works in order to hand off um, your your device to the best um, to the best uh, device that's close to that, uh, and it works pretty much the same way that um, a corporate office uh, Wi-Fi system does. And we're bringing this exact same technology into the house. Um, so really two, three d- different advantages that I just talked over really quickly. One is the single network name. Uh, secondly, is the roaming between all these different devices. Um, and the third name is really a, a, an app-based installation process so you can manage it in the way that you're familiar to um, doing it on your iPhones and things like that. Yeah, and it seems like this is giving people a little bit more control over a lot of the details of their Wi-Fi. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know who have never even bothered – 
changing the default password on their Wi Fi mm-hmm. router because they just don't want to sign into that thing and get into all the nitty gritty of it, uh, of, um, especially of hooking up an extender. But that once the, um, the mesh systems started coming out and there's like an app to control adding a node and things like that within the network, it's so much easier to use and so much more user friendly to, to add a node or to change people's allowances for things like that. It, it just made it so much easier. Absolutely. I've gone to so many people's houses and when I ask them for their network name, it's like they're reading off this cryptic, you know, 12 character combination of letters and numbers and that becomes their, their, their password. Um, in contrast, um, you know, mesh systems and, and the Orbi in particular, which is the one that I'm most familiar with, um, you've got an app and all you have to do is you've, you've got to, sh- all you do is share your network credentials with your friend and you can do that through, um, you know, a text or an email or, you know, whatever messaging platform that you have. And then, you know, people can just basically copy and paste that into your, in, into their, um, uh, into their system and into their iPhone or whatever and, and just get going. So it, it makes that whole capability super smooth. Um, and you know, what the best part is that you don't have to share your private network name with them. You can create a guest network and that way, you know, they don't have access to your photos and your file servers and all those things. Um, they just have access to the internet. Hey, admit, I would also say, as I'm the one who got a chance to demo it, and, and it, it's it's a beautiful piece of equipment, I can tell you that. Um, it does seem like you put extra care into making the app really simple, and that was something that I noticed right off the bat. In fact, the entire the entire the, the directions in the Orbi, mm-hmm. the 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 app, everything was very easy, very fast, and very smooth. But I do want to say the app seemed like you guys spent an extra amount of time to really make that a, a seamless and simple process. So am I right? Absolutely. It, uh, we spend a ton of time making sure that we deal with usability, uh, making sure we've got the right screens, the right colors, the right fonts, you know, everything, uh, all that left brain stuff that, you know, that, that goes with, with the technology. And, and, you know, we've got a whole team that's sort of dedicated to um, facilitating that and making it simple for people to use it. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to talk about what makes old homes so hard for regular Wi-Fi. Maybe you're asking yourself, who is that guy in the mirror? What happened to the guy with the brass knuckle attitude? Maybe he just needs to decide, is that a tie around his neck or a leash? Join the Brotherhood of Muscle with an available 485 horsepower Dodge Charger or Dodge Challenger GT, the world's first all-wheel drive two-door muscle car at the Dodge Drive and Discover event. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and I'm joined by my co-host Mike Etchart and Amit Rayleigh. He's the product management leader for Orbi Connected Home. You can see more about what we're talking about at netgear.com/orbi, O-R-B-I. And where we left off was Mike was just asking Amit, what makes old homes such a challenge for regular Wi-Fi, and how mesh Wi-Fi can help. What is it about the construction of homes 
and specifically older mm-hmm. homes that makes mm-hmm. the the old school Wi-Fi and and and, and using a Wi-Fi extender or what 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 makes Wi-Fi in general challenging in old homes. Right. Um, it, it has to do with a couple of things. Um, um, first, it's the construction material and what they use inside it. Right. Um, and, you know, I think more modern homes use more um, RF friendly material, you know, thinner walls and um, things like that. Um, whereas, you know, brick and construction and, you know, that kind of stuff makes it a little bit harder for cellular signals, Wi-Fi signals, whatever have you to cut through. The other thing that makes it a little bit more difficult is that older homes tend to have um, more additions to it. So maybe what you're actually walk, you know, trying to punch through is a, an ex, a previous exterior wall, which is, you know, usually, you know, tougher. It has more insulation, those kind of things through it. And what you decided to do is you, you've decided to add another bedroom on the other side of it. So now you're trying to punch through an exterior wall, which makes it a little bit more difficult too. So a lot more changes there. But there's also metal, you know, you've got wires and pipes and AC ducts and, you know, things like that, that also are make um, make life a little bit more um, challenging for a, a typical RF signal. Um, and that's actually also created an opportunity because um, the Orbi has this capability called uh, uh, dedicated backhaul, which is, you know, a channel that's really just dedicated to having the Orbeez talk to each other. And it's that we don't use that for any iPhones or laptops or for that type of communication. And what that does is it allows us to uh, to get to your iPhone from multiple directions and let the iPhone pick which signal is really the most suitable for it. Whereas and at the same time, maintaining a really strong, fast signal between the Orbi. It shows. Um one of the things, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, cause, and I actually have a Netgear, uh, as I mentioned, uh, range extender, which I've been mm-hmm. super happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's the little things that you realize. It's like like you said, when you go to the back of the house and you switch between the extender and or you switch from the the main signal to the extender signal, and you know, just those little, which didn't even seem like inconveniences before. Suddenly you like, oh yeah, I just like having the one signal. That really doesn't make a lot more sense. And so, it's, it's a, a couple of these things are sort of aha moments where you, you just kind of take it for granted. It is the way it is when you have an extender and you got to bounce around between the extender and the non-extender. And that's what a treat about the Orbi as well is. It's just it is that one signal. And man, I tested it in my house from the absolute corner, standing in the shower, surrounded by concrete tile, and and around the house, and it's seamless. It's absolutely seamless. Why, thank you. That uh, we, we put a lot of work into into making those types of things work. They just work, so right? It it just works, and and absolutely, and and that that there's a lot of challenge in that, and we spend a lot of time in that, and it 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 feels good to hear that it it works for most people. <laughs> absolutely, and and can you again sort of what's you know what's the cocktail party explanation of what mesh. It, what what a what a Wi-Fi mesh network or networking system is? What's what's the something that my parents can understand? Perfect. I, th- I think a couple of characteristics. One is um, um, a single network name and the ability for you not to have to mess around with it um, when you move around from one place to to the other. It it's also multiple systems, two or more that work together in concert in order to to deal with um, any. Uh, any obstacles or things like that. And, and at the end of the day, it, it's a new way of, of dealing with Wi-Fi at home. And we 
kind of went back to the drawing board and um, and kind of took things right from the very basics when we designed this. And, you know, yes, we have a 20 year history in, in designing home networking. We took all of that into account when we went out and designed the family of Orbi. Uh, but we also kind of took a step back and said, okay, what works, what doesn't, and, and kind of approach things with a little bit of a blank slate. Wow. Well, well done. And as, as, as I've mentioned to Jason, um, you know, my, my house happened, I live in, in Southern California and mm-hmm. I've got everything can make a house a drag for Wi-Fi. I've got if, if you drove by my house, you would see that it's it looks just like a normal house, but it is actually a concrete block house with plaster on the inside walls. And like you said, it's and we've also added on to it. Uh, right, right. And and so it, it is really about as bad as you can get in terms of and the walls are super thick and you know it's just mm-hmm. it's a nightmare. And I got to say that again that Netgear um, the dual band. Uh, range extender really it, it stepped us into the 21st century which was fantastic but boy when you have that when, when you when you when you step into to the wi-fi mesh network it's like oh my god this is really how it's supposed to work and, and where we notice it uh the most is on of course the television in the living room is in the old part of the house the old concrete block and plastic part of the house and and it's the little things, you know, you, it, it doesn't, there's no hiccups. There's no, it's, it's a much quicker connection to, to Netflix or to Hulu or to whatever. Right. And, you know, as all, and I think I'm, I'm obviously not alone. It's, you know, it didn't used to matter when cable was, was getting the TV into the old part of the house, but now we need Wi-Fi for everything in our house. And this is just the logical step up to, to, to making it really seamless and really effortless. Yes. Exactly. And I think you hit on the, the, the nail on the head there. And there's two or three different things that drive the adoption of Wi-Fi systems. And by the way, you're never, never going back to an extender once you've seen a Wi-Fi system, right? You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, it, it, what we've seen is that people, they go out and buy these, uh, you know, big 65-inch TVs, right? And I've got one in my house. Um, and at the mm-hmm. same time, they've got all these Apple TVs and Rokus and all this streaming and cord cutting that's happening. And what you can now do is that, hey, most of the Orbeez have like four ports, four Ethernet ports in the back of it. So what you do is you put your Orbe in that entertainment area because that's where you're going to spend most of your life anyway. So not only are you getting great Wi-Fi there, but now you can plug all these things into your Orbe and have that dedicated backhaul back to where your router is. And that that's how we've really seen a lot of people deploy it. The other thing is um, there's a lot of smart home activity that's happening. Um, and, you know, if you've got lights or um, cameras or whatever have you, um, you, you can't, it's not like you can move that around. You want your Alexa or Google Assistant to be where you're spending your life. Um, and that need, means that you need Wi-Fi everywhere, um, not just necessarily in the inside of your house, but also, you know, potentially on the outside of your house, if you have got a detached garage and in-law quarters or a pool house or whatever have you, uh, we actually also just came out with an outdoor Orbi, which um, um, you, all you have to do is plug it into power and, and mount it on the side of um, uh, a building and it's all weatherized and so it can survive um, even your rough Southern California temperatures. Um, <laughs> but you can also take it to like Montana and North Dakota and places like that and have you know, functioning Wi-Fi, really fast Wi-Fi in a detached area um, on your entire property, not just in your house.
Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters with my co-host Mike Etchart, and we're still talking with Amit Rayleigh from Netgear. And let's get back to our conversation where we were talking about how much space you can really cover in this mesh Wi-Fi system at your house. So I have roughly a 2,000 square foot house, and, and I've just got the I've got the system that has the uh, the mini router and of course the mini satellite. So right. that has completely given me coverage in the entire 2,000 square foot house. So I wouldn't need anything more than that. But but if I had a larger house, how many satellites can you use, and how far can you move away from the uh, from from the routers from the from the location of the router? Right. Um, so typically, we we put a square foot coverage um, on all of our boxes. But in essence, we've tested up to about four devices together. So in that you know combination permutation, gets you about ten thousand square feet of coverage. Wow. And I think that that that's bigger than, you know, that's more than 99.9% of uh, the houses that I know of. <laughs> well, I, and I was really surprised. Like I said, I, I was up until now very pleasantly surprised with my Wi-Fi mm-hmm. or extent, with my extender. But there were mm-hmm. still little pockets in it. You mentioned the other, the Internet uh, devices. I was not, I, I've been holding off on getting a Nest thermostat. Because mm-hmm, where my mm-hmm. thermostat lives, it's inside concrete walls, and you, you know, yes. even with the Wi-Fi extender, it wasn't good enough. But I, I went in there immediately, and it's like, yep. Ooh, this works perfectly everywhere in the 2,000 square foot house. And as I mentioned, even hopping in the shower at the far end of the house, yeah. and it, 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 it's, it's stunning all the way. It's so even across my house, and I can't imagine anybody's house being more difficult than mine with all the concrete and, and plaster. Yeah. So. I got to tip my hat to you guys. It's pretty damn great. L- let me tell you a story. Um, so about two months ago, I went, uh, I traveled internationally. Um, I have a place in um, in an, a very congested area. Um, my my family has a how has a fl- apartment on the seventh floor, and this is concrete and steel. My flat is on the first floor. I put uh, I took back an RBK fifty system with the four by four backhaul. And I installed a router next to a window on the seventh floor and put the satellite on the first floor. So this is through, you know, five ceilings and floors, all concrete and steel. And I was still I was able to get connection and get a good five megabits per second um, down on that first floor. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And like I, you said, you know, once you it. There's no going back. There is no exactly. going back. Since you mentioned um, how you know it used to just be that you had a TV with cable, and now mm-hmm. now you're talking about um, you know people holding off on getting a Nest thermostat or maybe a Amazon Alexa. There's so many internet connected devices, and then there's also uh, you know if you have kids and they've got an Xbox and they're trying to stream video games. There's a lot of different things we're trying to juggle here. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about some of the um, 
the stuff within the app that allows you to control who gets what internet and um, user control of, of who's getting that internet? Absolutely. Um, earlier the, or this year or late last year, we announced a partnership with a company called uh, Circle. Um, and what we've basically done with them is that we've in, enabled um, Circle right on the Orbi, which means that you don't have to buy a separate device, but all the, keep of the parental controls capabilities that Circle provides is now available for free anytime you buy uh, an Orbi. And we're going to uh, push that all the way across our, our family of, of, of products here. But in essence, what that means is that it's, it's, it's so simple to use. You create profiles for your, for your family members. You know, grownups get a certain set of prof- profiles. Uh, kids get an age appropriate profile. And what, and, and I want to emphasize the age appropriate part. It's not just adult content filtering. This is about, you know, some content is not appropriate for a five year old, but might be appropriate for a 10 year old. And this allows you to create um, um, these profiles and say, okay, you know, my five-year-old is not allowed to go Minecraft, but my 10-year-old is. And you can assign a bunch of devices to them. You can track how long that they're spending online, which which um, websites they're going to. And I can create profile that say, hey, you know what? Um, on a weekday, you only get 30 minutes of screen time. On weekends, you can get an hour and a half. And you can customize all of this by by a set of profiles. And all of this is available for free. And this is our expansion into some of the services that we're going to be um, pushing out across um, the Netgear family of, of uh, home networking. This is what a lot of parents have been well, asking like for it. for a long time. And, and it, it used to be that people would think, oh, you need to get specific apps to put on their phones and you need to get apps to put on their Xbox. But this kind of is an all-in-one because everything that accesses the Internet has to go through the Wi-Fi router anyways. Exactly. Exactly. My kids hate it. So <laughs> that's a sign that it's working, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it, what's what's interesting too is you know just like the mesh technology, once you have it, you're you're it, it just changes everything. It changes the whole game. And you, at least for me, like like having that sort of functionality at the router level for in terms of content for my kids, I never would have thought of to be honest. Um, but now that it's offered, you're like, oh yeah, of course, that makes the most sense. And you know, I got to say, Netgear has 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 kind of shown shown me the light in terms of how simple an app can be and should be for this kind of stuff. So you're spoiling all of us. We are spoiled with this technology. Let's say you want to make a DIY repair on your vehicle. Where do you go? Where do you turn for advice? Alan Taylor here. If you're considering free online repair advice, you might want to consider the source. Instead of putting your vehicle at risk, rely on accurate, complete guidance from start to finish with the experts at Haynes. Every Haynes manual is based on a complete teardown and rebuild of the vehicle. They learn the best ways to do the job and make it easier and cheaper for you. Available at most auto part retailers or at Haynes.com. Welcome back to PopTech Radio. I'm Jason Masters with my co-host Mike Etchart. And this is our final segment with Amit Rayleigh, the product management leader for Orbi Connected Home from Netgear. And now let's talk about how Orbi always ends up near or at the top of every reviewer's list when it comes to the best mesh Wi-Fi systems. 
if anybody out there goes online and looks up reviews for mm-hmm. the Orbi, or even if you just type in, like, what's the best Wi-Fi mesh router that I can get? Many times, if not every time, you'll see that the Orbi tends to be the top of the list. It is, like, the best, right. most recommended one. Right. Um, what do you think it is about the Orbi that that makes it so consistently the top-reviewed unit um, even over some of the other units where they, they might come with more nodes to place in more places, it seems like a lot of the reviews tend to say, even though some of these come with three to four uh, units that you can place around your house, the Orbi does just as good, if not better, with only the two uh, that you start off with. Right. So the, there's two bits of two decisions that we made really early onwards. And, and a lot of this, I can get credited to the fact that, you know, we've been in this industry for 20 years. Um, we have what what's called a private, which means three sets of radios on each device, um, which is far more than a lot of our competition. The second decision that we made is that, um, you know, you, you get a certain you pay for a certain amount of bandwidth from your um, Internet provider. Um and, and that, that amount of bandwidth comes to where your modem is. Well, what we do is that with that dedicated backhaul and the tri-band, we say, you know what, this, this set of radios is only that, you know, for the Orbi. And, and what that does is gets, gets your really fast internet from the uh, entry point to your house at the cable modem all the way to your furthest satellite without any interference or contention or anything along those lines. And that really allows us to, um, scale as a number of devices in your house increases. You know, if you only have a handful of devices in your house, yeah, you know, sure, whatever. But then you start counting TVs and set-top boxes and laptops and phones and thermostats and lights and personal assistants. Now, you know, it's not uncommon these days for people to have, you know, 30, 40, 50 of these devices in your house. And that's when you really start to um, notice amplification of, uh, of why an Orbeef wins. Small complaints aside about, um, you know, connecting to the extender, um, depending on what room you're in. Um, I've read that the extender can be as much as 50% slower than just being on a a mesh network because instead of having the tri-band, you're on a a dual band and then one of those bands becomes just for connecting and talking between the different uh, Wi-Fi units. So, So even though you can get internet further into your house with an extender, um, that you maybe bought on Craigslist, super cheap or whatever, you're going to be getting 50% slower internet. Exactly. It's exactly that. It's that because of dual band and because of um, other mesh systems basically are saying, uh, in order for you to get from hop to hop to hop, it's, it's on the same channel, and that causes your speeds to go down 50%. Um, and that gets worse and worse with more and more devices. Um, the, in, the decision that we made very early on is we were the first to come out with something like this tri-band and dedicated backhaul. And that, in, in that situation, we don't suffer the 50% penalty by going through multiple hops or by having an environment that has a ton of um, uh, devices in it, right? Um, and, and that really is, is part of why, what causes um, all the uh, performance wins that the Orbi has. Uh, one last thing I, I, I say I would say that is very slick, uh, Amit, is the um, 
is the, the, the up lights on the device. There, there's three different colors. There's magenta, there's amber, there's blue that, will, that can tell you various things. And it's a really, first of all, the, the design of it, as a fan of industrial design, it's a, it's a, they're beautiful. They're really well, well, well manufactured and well designed. And the lighting is really beautiful in terms of just the, the indicator lights. They're kind of up lights on the device. Um, so from an industrial design standpoint, you know, which, which to me is, you know, the, the pinnacle is, is an Apple product. You guys are in, in that, in that, uh, in that ballpark because it's, a, it's really, really well-crafted and clearly well thought out design. Aside from the, the super great functionality, they're pretty cool looking devices. And, and, and it's, it's been known uh, we've gotten a bunch of design wins from, you know, people who specialize in this area and we're quite proud of that. We spend a lot of time making sure that it looks pretty and, and uh, beautiful. That's it for this hour of Pop Tech Radio. Again, that was Amit Rayleigh, Product Management Leader for Orbi Connected Home. And if you want to see more about the Orbi line of products, you can go to netgear.com slash Orbi, O-R-B-I. This is Pop Tech Radio. We have another hour coming up. Don't go away. Where does the love for a car come from? If the car is a Subaru Legacy, the answer would be the symmetrical all-wheel drive. Power goes to all four wheels all the time for optimum grip. The Subaru Boxer engine's lower center of gravity makes the Subaru Legacy more responsive around corners and gets better fuel economy than front-wheel drive competitors. What you have then is a mid-size sedan with grip, handling, and enviable fuel economy. It's no wonder it turns people into people who love cars. Love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Popular Technology Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Welcome to this hour of Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and our show is brought to you by Bridgestone. They're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. And our first guest is Giotica Vermani, PhD, and she is the prize lead and senior director of Planet and Environment at XPRIZE, specifically the Shell Ocean Discovery XPRIZE, because there are more than one XPRIZE competition going on. So first up, Jyotika, let's talk about what XPRIZE is. Thank you, Jason. Yes, this is, uh, so XPRIZE is a nonprofit foundation. We're based in Los Angeles, and we run high-profile, multi-million-dollar competitions for technology development to address some of the world's big challenges. Um, and you know, the idea overall is to make an impact with those with those technologies. And they're not just focused in the ocean um, and on uh, ocean issues, but we have competitions on. Um, health and wellness, we have competitions on artificial intelligence, we have a carbon X prize, which is to extract carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and turn it into an economically valuable product. We have some learning and education X prizes, so, and we have space X prizes. And we just actually last week launched a new X prize, the Avatar X prize which is for a very sophisticated, advanced robot that you could control from 100 kilometers away uh, wearing a haptic suit to the point where you would be able to see, smell, hear, feel what the robot is uh, seeing, smelling, hearing, and feeling. 
Wow. Um, so that's the Avatar X Prize. So, so our range of competitions are quite broad. Yeah, definitely. And um, do they all are they all going all year long, or do they um, have different start and stop periods um, that people should be following on on the website? Because it seems like um, there's a lot of cool companies that kind of get born out of X Prize. It seems like even people that get second and third place tend to get enough notoriety to continue on with their very interesting products and or services. So, uh, yeah, each X Prize has a different uh, runtime. So as I just mentioned, we just launched the Avatar X Prize. That's a four-year competition. I'm leading the Shell Ocean Discovery X Prize. We launched in December of 2015, and it's a three-year competition. So our goal is to uh, end towards the end of this year um, and perhaps have the final awards uh, early next year. So each competition is different. The time frame that they run in is different. Um, the Avatar X Prize, we're in team recruitment. So if anyone is interested in competing for that, they should definitely go to the website um, and, and sign up for more information and to perhaps form a team. Uh, for the Shell Ocean Discovery X Prize, last week we actually also recognized our nine final teams. So we're much further along in that competition. Uh, and those nine teams are going to now proceed to the final round of the competition. And so we're pretty excited, actually. On the track, even one hundredth of a second decides who wins and who loses. That's why Bridgestone uses advanced racing technology to create their fastest street legal replacement tire yet. The new Bridgestone Potenza RE71R. Engineered with an innovative hydro evacuation surface and unique tread compounds, the new Potenza RE71R is designed to give you maximum grip and ultimate cornering on or off the track. Bridgestone is changing the game in tire performance. We are back. This is Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and we're still talking with Jyotika Vermani, PhD. She's the prize lead and senior director of Planet and Environment at XPRIZE, and we're talking about the Shell Ocean Discovery XPRIZE. So now that we know what XPRIZE is, let's talk more in depth about what the Ocean Discovery XPRIZE is. So the, ocean, the Shell Ocean Discovery XPRIZE, uh, we've just announced the finalists. We have nine final teams. The goal for all of them is to develop an underwater robot that is completely autonomous. Uh, it can be controlled from the shore, but not by any humans in the competition area. And this is a robot that will go down to the deep sea. So for round two, the final round, they'll have to map at 4,000 meter depth, so four kilometers. Uh, and it has to map at a very high resolution, so five meter or higher horizontal resolution. And we're asking them to bring back images from the deep sea as well, so that we can all see what is out there. We can see the amazing wonders of uh, a world that we currently really don't have access to. Yeah, and um, when I was reading up about uh, doing this interview, I, a lot of what I'm seeing is that we don't know as much about the ocean as we do about the moon and other celestial bodies. And I think a lot of that is because it's so hard to see that deep down below the water, and, and it's hard for uh, cell signals and other type of wireless communications to to help that process underwater. Um, 
And so we've got some bits of satellite imaging that we can make work, but this is really the you know the next step is is getting like lasers and different types of things down there to really map out our oceans, right? Yeah, we we currently of course have better maps of Mars than we have of our own planet. Um, the maps that you see on say Google uh, when you look at Google Maps. Those are around uh, one kilometer horizontal resolution. And as you mentioned, they're from satellites uh, and differences uh, that you can see from, from space. But these robots will go down uh, in person, if you like, to the deep sea, and they will actually make measurements down there at a really rapid pace. The current estimate, if we use state-of-the-art technology of today, uh, to map the seafloor at a very high resolution is around 600 years. What we are pushing for with this competition and the technology that comes out of this competition is a high-resolution map by 2030. Wow. So it's a very, very uh, ambitious uh, project, but um, we really think that we can achieve it. Definitely. Well, so can you tell us about some of these finalist teams and the different technologies that they have brought to the table? Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, nine final teams. Uh, we have student teams actually from the United States, so Texas A&M, Virginia Tech, and Duke University. Um, so Duke University, for example, has a heavy lift aerial drone, which will take the sonar pods out to the deep sea and then de deploy them when they get to the competition area. And this is an approach that's really tapping into the fast evolving field of drone technology, uh, aerial drone technology. Uh, one of the market failures that we had identified with this competition um, and why the ocean floor has not yet been mapped is because it's hugely expensive. Uh, it can cost up to $120,000 a day for a ship. And if you have to sail for 10 days, you've already lost over a million dollars before you start working. And so we've removed the need for ships at sea. So all of these technologies are deployed from the coastline. And so something like an aerial drone is a really effective way of getting the mapping technology out to the site that you want to map. Um, and then looking at some of the other teams, we have um, a team from Japan, uh, and they're using a, a swarm of underwater um, autonomous underwater vehicles to do their mapping. Uh, we have a team from Switzerland that is using laser technology to do the mapping. So currently most mapping is done using sound and sonar techniques, uh, and this is using a light-based technique, which is very interesting uh, as well. Uh, we have a team from the United Kingdom that has uh, vertical robots, if you like. So most of them are swimming horizontally, but this team has a swarm of vertical uh, pods that will just go up and down in the water column. And it can take measurements as you go through the water column, and then it will bounce along the seafloor and then resurface and transmit the data back. So we have a large range of approaches to this. Uh, and I'm, I'm really thrilled with the huge range that we do have coming out of this competition and the amount of innovation that we're beginning to see. Right. And I imagine that with, you know, so much of the open sea, there's just straight sunlight. So are, are we seeing a lot of these teams start to incorporate a lot of uh, solar recharging and things like that, too, to make sure that they don't have to bother dealing with other types of electricity or, or returning to 
shore to recharge? Yeah, we're seeing some of that uh, beginning to emerge. So a number of the teams have a surface vehicle, which is also autonomous, uh, which they carry, you know, that sails on the sea surface, and then the underwater component gets deployed from there. And um, in some cases, the underwater technology will resurface, dock with the surface vehicle, recharge, and then go for its next round. So that uh, really helps in terms of uh, controlling the power uh, drain that you need for something like this. Wow. And so, again, tell me, when, when does this end? And um, is, it, is there any way that um, people who are interested can vote on this? Or is this um, going to be decided by uh, experts? So, yes, yeah, so this competition, we, we intend to hold round two, the final round, in uh, October or November of this year. And we actually have an independent judging panel of experts who are uh, going to be judging all the data that comes back from the entries. We actually have, we're working with partners. We have Fugro is one of our prize partners, and they are working to get us a very high-resolution baseline map uh, in, in the competition area that the teams will then have to go with their technology and try and reproduce. And the judging panel will then look at that uh, using actually software that's been donated by one of our other prize partners, Esri, um, to see what how well those two maps compare. So it really is a very technical challenge, and we're really fortunate we have a very strong uh, group of experts who are on our judging panel. Craftsman is celebrating over 90 years of innovation. Since 1927, they've put hardworking tools into the hands of makers and mechanics. I've had Craftsman tools in my garage for decades, so I know firsthand that Craftsman comprehensive automotive tools and garage storage solutions will help you tackle your next project with confidence, whether you be a shade tree mechanic or a certified pro. So visit your local Ace Hardware or check out Craftsman.com to shop the latest hand tools, power tools, lawn and garden equipment, smart products, storage solutions, and a whole lot more. That's Craftsman.com. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and we're continuing our conversation with Giotica Vermani from XPRIZE. So, Giotica, let's talk more about what the benefits are of mapping the ocean. Yeah, there are many benefits to knowing what's down there. So, uh, we have a number of medical cures that come out of the deep sea, or out of the ocean in general, actually, not just deep, but shallow as well. Uh, such as um, a compound that's used in an Alzheimer medicine. Um, so, so there are new, so many compounds out there that can be used for that uh, for, for medical purposes. Um, also, there are a number of shipwrecks down there. So, you know, we say that the deep sea is the world's largest museum, but we just don't yet have access to it. Um, and so, this will really open up that pathway to really understanding our own human history uh, as well. Um, and then one of the reasons that we chose imagery uh, as part of this competition is because we know that the field of virtual reality is changing at an exponential rate as well. And so we really want to start tapping into 
being able to access and see and visualize and experience the ocean in a different way um, as, as we are starting to do with like Mars, for example. Um, and by removing the ships from the equation and making this much cheaper, we actually catalyze new markets. So we paved the way for deep sea conservation, uh, deep sea environmental management, as well as, like I said, maybe deep sea ecotourism. It seems like a lot of the teams that have made it their way to the final uh, finals are uh, from colleges. Are there any like non-college teams um, that made their way into the competition in an interesting way, or is the best way to make your way into a competition like this uh, to start by picking a college that that focuses on? Um, uh, <laughs> ventures of this type? That's a great question. Actually, we do. We have a one-man team who is uh, working, currently working alone. I suspect that's going to change soon now that he's uh, going on to the next round. But um, And that's a team from Switzerland. Um, we do have a number of uh, university-affiliated teams as well as university teams um, who are in the competition. And I think... Not just this X Prize, but every X Prize is a great platform for the future engineers and scientists to really get their hands on something and work on something that they would not normally have an opportunity to do uh, during their university career. So it really um, inspires them to continue on that track. And we hear that feedback from our student members on our teams quite regularly. And when it comes to joining the XPRIZE uh, as a team, um, how much do you have to bring to XPRIZE to, to fit the criteria? Do you, can you just come with an idea or do you need to come with a finished product um, and, and a bunch of money? Or uh, what does it really look like for somebody who joins XPRIZE um, uh, how many? How, what, are there resources for 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 the teams and things like that? So, for, yeah. So, uh, if you join as a team, and uh, so for example, the Avatar X Prize that just launched. Uh, quite often, the first um, uh, round is um, based on the idea. So, if you have a great idea, it actually doesn't matter if you're a student or you're full time employed somewhere. Um, or you're retired. We've had we've had teams in the past who have you know retired and and they go and they develop their technology in the garage and uh, and enter a competition. But each competition has um, is open to anyone uh, and everyone. Anyone with a great idea can join um, and enter and see where it takes them. For example, the Wendy Schmidt Oil Cleanup X Challenge, one of the 10 final teams, was uh, a tattoo parlor artist from Las Vegas. <laughs> wow. Um, so, you know, so really, and, and he was one of the finalists. So, so really, we say a good idea can come from absolutely anywhere. So I strongly encourage anyone who has a good idea to have a look at the website uh, and see if they want to take part in this great adventure and you never know where it takes you. Yeah, that's great. It's really nice to know that uh, it's not just engineering students and, and the like that can make their way into contests like this because 
it seems like more and more you see um you know middle school students and high school students coming up with ideas that end up uh helping make the world a better place we do and in fact for this competition for the noah bonus prize we still have a middle school student team that's in the in the in the running in the noah bonus prize that's amazing yeah we're we're uh, they're a great great group really good group so um yeah so i i you know as i said i strongly encourage people to check out the website xprize.org uh, and if you're interested in the ocean discovery xprize that's oceandiscovery.xprize.org wonderful well i hope everyone who has heard this interview will go and check out some of those winning teams they have so many crazy ideas a lot of the time involving lasers because what can't lasers do uh and as she said uh the the website is oceandiscovery.xprize.org all right well jotico vermani thank you so much for joining me this is pop tech radio and we'll be right back Maybe you're asking yourself, who is that guy in the mirror? What happened to the guy with the brass knuckle attitude? Maybe he just needs to decide, is that a tie around his neck or a leash? Join the Brotherhood of Muscle with an available 485 horsepower Dodge Charger or Dodge Challenger GT. The world's first all-wheel drive two-door muscle car at the Dodge Drive and Discover event. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. back. I'm Jason Masters, and this is Pop Tech Radio. And now we're talking with Dr. Ted Wilkie. He's the Senior Principal Engineer at Intel Labs. And Intel is partnering with Parlay for the Oceans, and they're helping add AI and machine learning tools to collect biological samples from whales using something called Project Snotbot. You're going to want to hear about this. It's pretty amazing. So, Dr. Wilkie, what is Intel doing with whales, and why? Intel Labs is on a mission to push the frontier of discovery forward in computing. And um, we also want to play our part in making this the best planet it can be. And that starts by, you know, looking after humankind, uh, the ecosystem that we depend on, the animals within it that tell us a lot about how we're doing. Of course, we care about them fundamentally as well. Uh, diversity of the planet, and all the resources that are on it, um, so Intel has been pursuing uh, a campaign related to this work that we are doing, AI for Good. And we're trying to show that artificial intelligence can do good. It's not just something to fear and a new technology that, um, you know, reminds us of a, a bunch of bad science fiction films, but also something that actually can serve the planet and serve ourselves quite well um, if, if done in the right way. And... So this work we've been doing with uh, Parley for the Oceans and Ocean Alliance, two great partners that have put a lot of uh, thought into ocean conservation, uh, recycling, um, concerns for the welfare of the planet and the animals and the people, um, have 
shown us that we can apply AI with great potential in that space. And so first idea was, let's see what we can do for exactly what they're up to right now. And we went after that prize. This is really interesting because, you know, I think so many people think about, like I said, Intel as a computer brand. But, I mean, some of this stuff that's going on here with the uh, the wonderfully named Snotbot is, is really interesting and has nothing to do with um, consumer-level products. But it really is affecting, uh, I mean, everybody in the end, if we're going to be uh, keeping some of these animals alive longer than they would live otherwise uh, without our um, without our help. Well, like I, I mentioned, uh, ocean health is, is directly tied to human health. Human health, everything that we put in the ocean, uh, you know, affects the food that we have, the, the play that we do in the ocean, and the things that we, the, that we otherwise take out of it. Um, obviously, the ocean also reflects everything we do to the land and the environment around it. Um, and so um, it happens to be that, the, you know, the whales, the whales that we've been studying uh, in the work with Parley for the Oceans and Ocean Alliance and with these, these snot bots are at the, at the top of their food chains and they concentrate all of the problems that, uh, in the ocean. Uh, so when the system is, is not doing well, they, they reflect it, uh, reflect it in a big way. Um, so uh, snot bots, are, you know, a drone created to study them in a very non-invasive, effective way. Uh, the idea being that you would take uh, this drone and fly it through the, the spout water. You know, the whale comes up from a dive and it exhales. It blows this beautiful, um, you know, cloud of, of steam, a, a mist that comes out of its lungs, and um, we can go through that and capture it and take samples. From those samples, we can get all kinds of really rich information about how well um, that animal's doing, you know, from uh, the hormone levels, both stress, sex hormones, toxins, contaminants in the water and in the, in the bodily fluids. So we get a huge picture. We can do DNA analysis. Um, and um, so that the snotbots bring, uh, you know, a, a new degree of, information to the problem and they do it in a way that uh, that leaves the animals playing in their natural environment with very little disruption which is really important because these animals are already stressed out enough right and previously you'd, you'd probably have to like you'd have to fully catch one right so previously our you know our partners have told told us these stories that people would go out on boats and they'd have to get really close to these animals and then basically harpoon them to get samples. They take samples out of their blubber um, and get the kind of information that we're able to get out of this exhalant condensate now. Uh, and so the, the problem with that is, like, you, you know, you have to get close. You chase them down. They're aware of that. You can hear the motors coming, see the boat, um, and then you cut uh, a hole in them, basically, and, and hope that that doesn't create problems. And it, it takes an intense amount of work by a very skilled team to do that. Um, and so now we can do it at a greater distance with these drones, and we can go to places and literally get into positions we couldn't before um, with an object that's no larger than a bird and, and doesn't have uh, more of an effect on the animal than that.
Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. I'm Jason Masters, and we're talking with Dr. Ted Wilkie. He's the Senior Principal Engineer for Intel Labs. So we know that Intel Labs and Parlay for the Oceans are partnering up to collect data from whales. Which part of the process is Intel technology being used? Identification and morphometry. Identification, I think we all can relate to that right away. I mean, we all... uh, identification and uh, we want to be able to identify our, our pets and uh, people have been tracking and tagging uh, animals in the wild for, for a long time. Um, and whales, I mean, it's really hard to see these animals and identify them and we'd like to be able to uh, consistently know which ones we have samples on, track how they're doing over time, right? Um, so we, we're on the hunt for the whale fingerprint, if you will. Second thing I mentioned was morphometry. So morphometry is the, in general, is the study of uh, what you can learn from studying an object's shape. Uh, in this case, we're talking about the shape of a whale, and that's an interesting question here because uh, whales carry blubber; they carry the vast amount of energy that they have on board in their fat, and it shows. You know, they show it. Um, so if we can uh, discern that between uh, health a whale at a healthy weight from a whale that's at an unhealthy weight, we can learn a lot about its survival and its ability to procreate. And we can correlate that information and draw conclusions with the samples we take, you know, with the snot bot and uh, the general conditions of the environment they're in, uh, both locally and and in the region and and along their journeys. So uh, we saw the immediate potential of applying artificial intelligence to drone feeds and going after identification and morphometry. When you take these samples from the whales and you're learning about uh, their their environment, um, what kind of data are you able to take from the whales, uh, possibly about their environment or what they're eating or which... Um, part of the world they're at, and, and then give that data to local governments or advocacy groups or, or things like that? So the answer to that is being able to, to identify these animals individually, and um, drones provide us with a great opportunity for that. It just so happens that they are um, very distinguishable from their fluke pattern. So the fluke is the part, uh, there are two flukes on a whale, it's what makes up their tail, and as they die, they, they come up. And when they come up, we can get a good shot. We can get a better shot taking it from a drone camera. And so we're already out there to collect the sample. So as the animal dies, we get a shot of the fluke, and the algorithms are able to process and identify that individual before the drone's even back to the boat. So that artificial intelligence comes in with this problem. So that then we can tie these animals to their environment, their journeys, and 
even the cohorts, the, the other animals that hang out. You know, it's very important to understand uh, the relationships within um, the feeding groups and, um, and that. It seems like uh, if you look at any um, scientific studies, there is the, you know, there's like the recruitment phase. If they're testing people, then there's the actual study phase. And then there's this long months or years long period at the end where they have to look at all of the data that they collected. And it seems like um, this is going to be something that helps science really for the future of humanity uh, to always be able to shorten down that time and maybe even catch bits of data that humans wouldn't have noticed. But these uh, these algorithms and, and AI can maybe pick up on some details that we would have missed. Spot on. I mean, spot on. What's so fascinating about studying the, the shape of a whale is that how little we really consciously know and can quantify about what that shape means and the importance of what we observe. So any skilled whale biologist can tell you whether what they're looking at is a sick animal, and they can then go on about the clues that they, or the cues they take that tell them that. But if you, if you press them hard on exactly where the, the animals uh, emaciated and, you know, where, where would it be different if it were um, healthy, uh, it's, it's, you know, the answer is usually fairly generic, more fat everywhere, a lot more fat around the center and so on like that. Um, but what we're after really is can an AI algorithm tell us exactly where the an- animals lose energy, how much energy they have on board, um, how they're trending in, in really subtle ways. So everybody knows when the animal is like super emaciated. Everybody knows when it's like happy and everything's great. Um, it's very hard to see the trends and see them in time uh, so that you know the train wreck is coming. And um, to see the subtle effects of changes, so things, you know, like, like with us, for them, have periods of good and bad, and uh, the, the changes are very subtle over those periods, over the journey, over the, the annual life cycle, or annual cycle. And um, that's the power of algorithms. They can do this, uh, they don't feel that it's tedious, they never get tired, um, they're able to analyze every pixel in the image exhaustively, and they're able to put hard statistics to it and and make inferences from that. When you are con- you're collecting the spray from the whales, I imagine um, a certain percentage of that is water that they just ingested from around them. Um, are you able to? Uh, I imagine you're um, you're collecting these samples from all over the world, and are you able to also get information about the water that is uh, in these different areas and see differences and get interesting information just from make just from uh, you know taking these water samples and and feeding it into the uh, the data analysis? Yes, we can get. Very interesting information from the water samples, and uh, that's a very good observation to note that the water is, we're collecting water as well as the, what we're calling the snot, the biological material from the whale itself. Um, and you know, this this we don't call it water; we do call it. Uh, and we want to be literal about it: the uh, exhalant breath condensate. And um, 
We even have a term for uh, blows, if you will, that have water in them. It would be a wet blow, and the animal's coming up. It might be right under the surface of the water. When it exhales, it's going to push water up, right, toward right. the drone and the petri dishes. So um, sometimes we get very dry blows with a animal's back has been out of the water for quite some time, and there's almost no visible condensate. But um, sometimes it's quite wet. When it is, it can be so wet sometimes that it really dilutes the biologic biological sample to the point where it's not viable, but we just about always get uh, a good sample of the water as well. And there's, there are a lot of conclusions to be drawn from uh, what's contained in the water and what's contained in the other bi- biological fluids that come out of the animal and the, and the interplay between them. And this is a perfect, a prime example of where you want to apply uh, pattern recognition know, to relate these variables in uh, non-obvious ways and draw conclusions of them. And that's, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence are, are perfectly equipped to do that. Haynes manuals are now available in online format for all electronic devices. With Haynes Manual Online, you get all the trusted content of the Haynes printed manual. Added features include the ability to enlarge every color photo, a keyword search function, and a detailed troubleshooting section. There are over 180 car, truck, and motorcycle online manuals to choose from, with more being added every day. Go to Haynes.com and enter your make, model, and year to find the Haynes online manual for your vehicle. You can do it for yourself. Let Haynes Manuals Online show you how. Welcome back to the last segment of our show for this week. And we're finishing up our conversation with Dr. Ted Wilkie. He's the Senior Principal Engineer for Intel Labs. And so, Dr. Wilkie, I know it's it's kind of hard for laymen to understand, but can you tell us what these algorithms are doing when they've collected all this data from these whales? So identifying whales is tough. You know, they're, they blend in with their background. They're always underwater. Water filters out color. Uh, it's often murky. We're always dealing with a really noisy environment in terms of like waves reflecting light and bending light that goes through. And so it was one of the reasons we were really attracted to this and thought we would learn something more about artificial intelligence itself by taking on the challenge. Not a lot of AI researchers are studying the problem of identifying subtle objects in the wild or being able to determine the shape of something that's partially obscured like that. Um, it's not a common problem in other places that AI is being aggressively applied, like autonomous driving. Um, so it's a really cool problem for AI researchers. And so with respect to identification, um, what's cool about that is we had to figure out what the fingerprint is. What's the fingerprint of a whale? So when they take a dive and their tail comes up, we get a shot of that. We saw distinct markings, but weren't sure how they would matter. You know, would they be able to, to determine individuals accurately? So what we noticed was is that uh, the trailing edge of the tail is jagged like a key. We figured that if we could figure out the unique geometry of that and, and, and match on that, we might have part of the mystery solved. The second thing is, is that there are often on these whales, there's, there's, there's patterns in coloring on the surfaces of the tail. It can vary from white to black, and it can vary by the region that the animal was born in and, and dwells in. 
Um, and this patchwork also gives us another clue. By using machine learning to combine um, the right aspects of the, the trailing edge geometry and the patchwork, we did indeed find a very unique fingerprint for these whales and were able to demonstrate on the fly in real time as we got an image off the drone and to make a positive identification. One surprising story that shows the immediate value of being able to do this in the field is we were out there on the water in Alaska and we had dropped a hydrophone, a device to listen to uh, the sounds that whales make underwater. And we heard a call. We had a, we had a whale researcher with us that had many years of these recordings. And he heard the call and he said, you know, I think I recognize that whale, but it, it's probably very unlikely because it's been 21 years since I heard that call. Now, generally, we're out there seeing a bunch of animals in the vicinity. We would never be able to answer the mystery of whether that was the same animal or not. Well, luckily, we got a shot when that whale dove. We got a shot of its tail and we were able to apply this fingerprint technology to it, this AI technology. And what we discovered was it was a perfect match for an animal that was named in a database, Trumpeter. And Trumpeter had a very distinct call over the hydrophone. And when we pulled up the hydrophone records, they matched, or they sounded like they matched, but over 21 years, I mean, that's a lot of change. But the identification was exact. And so and were you able to go back and take a picture of the, uh, maybe there, somewhere there existed an old photo of that whale's yes. tail? Trumpeter on someone's SLR camera, many, you know, two decades, shot a trumpeter correlated with the, the hydrophone data at that point. And How done cool. It, you know, just put it away in a database, never knowing whether they were ever going to be able to match that using an algorithm. So this time we were able to play to automatically, the top hit we had in the database brought up Trumpeter and matched what the whale researcher thought we were going to see. It was amazing. It was amazing to see that play out in real time. It seems like what you're saying is before you guys were involved in this process, people weren't really sure that you could identify a whale by its tail, and that, that's that's a pretty giant leap in and of itself. You know, it was sort of an it was an art, and there were rules, and uh, you would try to find like as you say key points that you know like there's a notch out of here and there's a jagged edge there of that sort. Um, but it didn't become an act. It, nothing becomes an exact science until you start taking measurement. And, and the problem with that is it's never exact. So doing the measurements and then trying to compare exact measurements is, is a very tedious thing for a human to do. An algorithm is going to try to find the best match it can by looking exhaustively through the database and taking into account a number of measurements simultaneously. And so, yeah, this is just, this is, this leaps it forward for the community. You know, it makes questioning, answering possible that wasn't possible. Um, and it wouldn't have been even considered, it would have been ruled out. That's it for our show this week. If you want to find out more about Dr. Wilkie's work or anything else Intel is doing, just go to intel.com. That's I-N-T-E-L. Dot com. And again, this is Pop Tech Radio. If you want to get any of our older episodes, go to poptechradio.com or check us out on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Music.